there are many renditions of Tzitzita, like all famous Ethiopian artists throughout the ages have their own version of the Tzitzita. So I think if you Google Tzitzita, it's T-I-Z-I-T-A, you will definitely find many, but one of my favorite ones is by Mahmoud Ahmed. Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that makes you fall in love with reading while flipping a script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair books with songs or albums that spark the same emotional connection. I'm your host Sarah, a West African in the diaspora with a deep abiding love for the written word. Join me as I take you on a musical journey through the works of new and classic authors. In today's episode, we continue our conversation with Ebise Wajira Rao in the context of her profession. Ebise is an Ethiopian Dutch literary editor, publisher and co-founder of Dipsaus, a multimedia platform that centers the presence and narratives of black and people of color in the Netherlands. We use the music of Luther Vandross, Nas, Lil Wayne, City Girls and Mahmoud Ahmed to discuss publishing while black in the Netherlands and Europe. We also discuss forthcoming and recently published Dipsaus publications, such as the Dutch translation of Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider, Afrolit, a modern literature of Africans in the diaspora, and De Gede Immigrant, the Dutch iteration of the groundbreaking anthology The Good Immigrant. Keep up to date with Ebise by visiting dipsaus.org, that's dipsaus, D-I-P-S-A-U-S dot org. Follow Ebise on Twitter and Instagram at Dipsaus Podcast. That's at D-I-P-S-A-U-S Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to do us a favour by subscribing to the podcast on your favourite podcast listening platform. But more importantly, please, please, please rate the podcast. Review it by reviewing and rating the podcast. You make it so much easier for other people to find and listen to it. Ebise, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Books and Rhymes, the podcast. You already know I'm a huge fan of what you do, being a literary editor in the Netherlands, being a co-creator of Dip South, you know, a hugely instrumental platform in the Netherlands. Dip South is started off as a podcast. It is now a publishing house, which we're going to discuss <laughs> later on. And you've had amazing guests like, I mean, one of my favorites, um, Steve McQueen has been on Dip Sales, the podcast. Dip Sales is now a publishing company and Dip Sales also has a newsletter as well. Yes, so we do. would you mind telling us a bit about Dip Sales, how Dip Sales came to be? Um, Dip Sales was um, founded by myself and two other friends, Mariam. Elmas Louis and Anusha Nuzume back in 2016. It is actually as a reaction to uh, this media scandal that took place um, the year before, where Anusha, Mariam, and two other friends were interviewed separately about their online activism as f- feminist activists of color. And the, the newspaper that, that uh, interviewed them was NRC, NRC, which is like, you can compare it to The Guardian. And actually it was a hit piece. It felt, it, 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 they were approached, I was also approached, I didn't say yes. I don't, I hardly ever do interviews, but uh, they were approached uh, in a way that the, the journalist was like, I'm very much interested in what you're doing. I've been following you. It's interesting. I want to, I want to do a profile on female online 
activism uh, against anti-racism and also feminism. And they thought, okay, you know, finally somebody's listening, but it was actually hit piece. And uh, it was they, without their knowledge. It was they were front page Saturday. I mean, you call it we call it the Saturday papers. Your Sunday papers is for us the Saturday papers. Hmm. And there was a huge fallout. Just like people just went completely. Anyway, there was fallout was like fall, how fallout as in because they were very uh, all four of them are very uh, outspoken mm-hmm. and uh, also unapologetic about their activism, about their feminism, about their critiquing of media, media critique. So just people just could not handle it. They just could not handle the criticism. It was unfiltered and not what white people were used to. So there was this huge fallout, but also the journalist and the newspaper, they kind of like uh, interwove different, these people, they were all, interviewed individually mm-hmm. but it felt as though they were in the same room together it was a very sneaky move and also like he kind of like uh, he broke promises he was he, he, he had made promises that he, he was he was going to change certain things he didn't it was all in writing and even I said no in my when he approached me I said no I can't and he made up a quote that I'd never saved and he put, he put, he put it in there. So what we did was like, we didn't know each other back then. We only knew each other from the internet, the interwebs on Twitter. <laughs> we knew each other on the Twitter verse and we came together. We, it, we came together five of us. I was the fifth one because I was not interviewed, but my code was on there. We came, we came together the day after the fallout. We, it was 6 PM in the evening. We, we wrote a piece, opinion piece against it. It took us like the entire night. We were done at 7 a.m. in the morning. Oh, wow. We posted it. And then because what they tried to do is like they tried to uh, play us against each other, mm-hmm. plays out against each other. And then we went to the, we took a lawyer. We, had, we went to a lawyer. And we didn't, it's, we didn't take them to court, but there's this media... Uh, they call it the Rad for Journalistique, like the like tribunal? tribunal, like ju- journalism tribunal, and we won the case on all counts. So, what was that like for you? Um, oh. I think that there is one thing. I mean, given the COVID situation mm. and Black Lives Matter as well, mm. um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement coming to the fore within COVID. I don't think we are having enough conversations about how we can support the people on the front line and the ways in which the people on the front line can care for themselves or the ways in which they do care for themselves. Yeah, so having gone through that ordeal, Mm -hmm. having gone through that tribunal, how did you recalibrate yourself? And how did that lead to the the start of Deep South? This this happened uh, in 2004. 15 and then while we were still working on the the case at the the journalism tribunal uh, three of us decided to start this podcast because at some point we're like we can't just always write opinion pieces and like knock on the door to break it down we just need to do our own thing and that's how and the easiest way for us was to to do a talk show form and a podcast because it was cheaper it was the cheapest way and easiest way for us to do it and um, as a result, uh, in the past four years, we've created a platform 
for and by women of color, we, we have also become a platform for other activists to come and talk about what they do. So what we did during COVID was like as much as possible, um, make sure that people who want to have a say in, in, in about COVID, about activism, about Black Lives Matter, they were actually able to come to, on our show and talk about it in a way that they want to talk about it, like an in-depth discussion. It's not a debate. Nobody's explaining the ABC of Black Lives Matter. So we, we, could ha we were able to have in-depth discussions with each other and also we we're supporting each other. And this, uh, we've been very active. Uh, Mariam is also a community organizer in, in the, the Hague. She's an activist. She's one of the, the Black Lives Matter Netherlands chapters in, 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 in the Hague. She's the one, she's one of the people who are organizing it as well. So we're, we're like in one, one foot within the activist world. So we were able to amplify these voices and just avoid um, being used as clickbait as well. We don't want to be reactive anymore. So we're more proactive than just reacting to whatever is happening in the media. We just don't do that anymore. I'm reminded of a quote by Toni Morrison that says that the function, the serious function of racism is to distract Distraction. you. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and, and one of the things also what Mariam did during uh, lockdown was because, Mar because um, Anusha is based in New York and COVID hit New York so hard, especially in the beginning, March and April. So she was too busy being invested in what was going on there. So, and it was Ramadan as well. And so what Mariam did was like, she did a Ramadan series, a series of uh, podcast interviews with a couple of people, how they, how they are practicing Ramadan during lockdown. What do you do? Usually you come together to break the fast every evening. You can't do that. So uh, she, it was, she had like a very interesting introspective. Um... Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Conversations with, with five people about COVID Ramadan during lockdown, at the height of the lockdown. So, so we managed to do things differently than, than, than what you, you would expect. We just, we just tried to do the best we can Zooming like we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... The thing is, we can, we can't, how do you say it, hide from the reality mm. of what's going on in mainstream media. It does affect us, of course, but having created this platform, which started out as a podcast and which is now we also have like what we call it an online magazine where people actually send in mostly essays, nonfiction and, 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 and opinion pieces um, and now the publication 
and as I mean, a, a book publication as well as Mariam is also uh, developing and producing podcasts. Brilliant. With with other young young people around her, Spectrum Podcast is the second one she's produced. She's produced Fufu and Daddles. So we are becoming a multimedia platform where we where we let other people also just like from all the insights that we gained, the three of us, we're just passing on the how do you say it, our, our, our knowledge to other people so that they can do the same. But then they don't have to go through all the pain that we had to go through because we did that already for them. So it, 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 in that sense, it, it's very, uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work, hardly pays the bills. That's why we have like paying jobs, <laughs> other paying jobs. But it gives us a lot of, uh, uh, there's a Dutch word for full doing. Uh, we enjoy doing it. Even if we have like sleepless nights and exhaustion, we still no weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like we're doing now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but it, it gives us a lot of joy, and and we're happy to be able to provide others with with a even if with a we have a dedicated following and listeners as well. So it's it's good. We're happy. Imagine Dipsa's podcast is a book or short story within the African literary sphere. Which book is it? paired with a song that sparks some emotional or intellectual connection? Um, I had to think of, I, I had a hard time coming up with a, with like a book, but what I, in, I, one of them, I think it was 2008, the book came out in 2018, I think. It's the book by uh, Emmanuel Iduma, a Nigerian American writer, A Stranger's Pose, with the most amazing cover by David Petros. I think he's Petros actually. He's he, I think he's an Eritrean, an Eritrean uh, photographer. And I I chose that book. I've I've been very very very. I'm I've been in love with that book from the the <laughs> moment that I read it. And it is it is a beautiful. It's like it's not prose, but it's not poetry either. It's something in between. It's a diary. It's poetic prose. I find it's poetic prose. prose. Very poetic. It's a travelogue, but also not really. Um, it, it's like, it is, it has managed to capture the various voices and perspectives uh, of, 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 of what it means to be on the continent because Emmanuel travels between a, a, a whole bunch of countries and talks to people and then he writes about his what he's his innermost thoughts and reflections and it's beautiful it's meandering it is, it is you can't really place it you can't put it in one box and I think I, I chose that because I mean it's we are also Anusha and myself and Marian were like three generations of um, black women from African continent. Um, um, Mariam is also Afro-Moroccan as well. It's something that's also like part of her identity. Uh, for Anusha is Russian Cameroonian <laughs> and I'm from Ethiopia. So it we've managed to come together and create something which is really unique in the Netherlands. And um, but in terms of song, um, it's more of an in- emotional connection than an intellectual one <laughs> because when we're together, um, especially last year, we went to uh, Stockholm together to just like reconnect because Anusha moved to the US and 
the, the distance. We felt the distance in many ways. We went to reconnect for we, we went for a short weekend to to Stockholm and one of the songs that she started singing for because she can sing as well of all the things she she does many things she 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 sang um, never too much by Luther Vandross so that's our jam. Oh, I love that song. So I can't feel myself. I don't want nobody else to ever love me. You are my shining star, my guiding light, my love that you see. There's not a minute, hour, day or night that I don't love you. You're at the top of my list cause I'm always thinking of you. I still remember in the days when... When we hear that song, it doesn't matter where we are, we send each other voice notes like, look at what I'm listening now. <laughs> That's our jam. And also then she put a ring on it. She literally put a ring on our fingers. After. Wait, are you serious? Yes, so we're married now. We're all with <laughs> us. We, we share the same ring. We have similar rings. <laughs> that is, I think, in terms of like emotional connection. And then usually we just, we just love dancing. So we have like a whole, there is a playlist of Anusha's. Um, it was her, also her birthday weekend. So you can, maybe you can put that in your show notes. And one of the songs that we also really love is, what's his name? Birdman and Little Wayne, Stunting Like My Daddy. <laughs> I love that song. Chrome Dowdy 1100, what I'm doing, getting money, what we doing, getting what they doing, hating on us, but they never crowd cash money, still a cup in We're stunning like our mamas. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what is, so when you hear Stunting Like My Daddy, Mm. What feeling does that evoke for you? Not really being in a club and dancing with Amsha and Mariam. I mean, it doesn't matter. Or just like climbing. I mean, I did once I was listening to it and then I I don't know what came into me. It was during lockdown. I went, I climbed on top of the table, the dinner table. And I was dancing away at home. And then my boy, my son, <laughs> He, he um, how do you say it? He recorded it, a video, and sent it to his classmates. Like, look what my mom is doing at the moment. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, okay, this is, my mom is listening to hip hop from, he, he calls it hip hop from the Stone Age. Oh, wow. Yes, it's old. But that's in the 2000s. What I happened? know, but it's okay. old. Okay. Kids these okay. days. Yeah. I think I'm thinking about creating in the time of the Rona, right? Mm. So the Kane Prize was um, judged um, during Rona. The Kane mm. Prize was announced, everything done during Rona. So Rona has literally shifted, has pulled the rug from under a lot of people yeah. and we're sort of figuring out new ways of doing things. So in the times of the Rona, given that the Rona has caused a lot of people to rethink, reimagine and redesign their ways of working, Given that, you know, you already, um, Anusha, you already mentioned that Anusha is not in the Netherlands anymore. She's based in the United States. How has Dipsaus, and also, and also, um, given that now the, the plight of and marginalization of Black people, and by the fact that Black people are disproportionately mm -hmm. affected mm -hmm. by Corona, you know, how has all of this affected or how has how has Dipsaus responded to all of these curveballs, 2020 curveballs 
in terms of your mission statement, your working together, and also your content? I mean, in terms of uh, working together, it was at, at the beginning, it was quite difficult because we were, um, I mean, it's lockdown, you're dealing with being 24, if, you have, if you're like alone, you have cabin fever, you're alone, you can't go outside and you don't, you don't, you don't see your friends or family. If you have family, you're like with them 24 seven. <laughs> which you did not sign up, which some of us did not sign up for. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was difficult in the first few weeks to actually have the headspace to get together and record, uh, continue doing what we were doing. Also because we felt like the world was, like you said, a lot of, specifically the situation in the States was so bad, so dire in, in New York. Um, Andrew was telling us, uh, what was going on the ground because her husband is also um, he's a first responder he's a doctor uh, so we were we knew what was going on and it was really tough to keep it together uh, while this was ongoing so we also decided like let's just not um, record something we didn't do anything I think in March but then uh, we had a talk also we have with our board of advisors and they said, especially now, because black people are affected disproportionately and also people of color, also in the Netherlands, we need to do more. And as a result, we did, uh, we did episodes also specifically addressing these issues. And then of course, immediately after that, uh, with, um, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter uh, happened in um, the, the, the protest in the US and then which also happened here. Uh, most of our um, recordings after that, our, our, our episodes have been about that, about police brutality in the Netherlands, um, about how the Netherlands deals with their uh, the islands, the Dutch Antilles, the way they, how they have been uh, responding to the corona that is affecting the islands, which are much poorer than, than here, how it's still a very neo-colonial uh, way of, 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 how you say it, help. It was not really help, actually. It's, it's like basically what the, uh, the World Bank does, the Dutch government is doing to their own. So we've been, we've been very, much in tune with what's going on on the ground in the Netherlands, but also in the US. But at the same time, because of all these technology, it has also actually made it easier to record, to, to, to produce podcasts, because now usually we wanted people to be physically present in the studio. That was our thing. And if people couldn't be present, then there was no podcast. No Whereas yeah. now, it has made it much, much easier to like quickly get people together and, and do like in-depth reporting about like the, the, the important issues specific, specifically about uh, police brutality in the Netherlands. We needed to act quickly and we did. And it's like one of our most uh, listened uh, podcasts of the past two, three months. So in a way, we have been quite productive, but it also means like, we're tired. <laughs> We're really tired. I mean, so how are you resting? 
physically, but also, oh, I started exercising after 15 years of not exercising. That's what I, I, I go for walks, like long walks. I even did yoga for a while and then I stopped. <laughs> it was that bad. I'm like, and the thing is, I tweeted about it and people were like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. The fact that I'm tweeting about yoga means I'm not okay. <laughs> because so I don't exercise. Do you... I'm one of those people who do not exercise. So how do you get respite? Because it's, you know, I mean, to... We're sort of in the same boat, aren't we? In the mm. sense that we are, we are involved in... Uh, establishing a platform about things that we care about. Yes. Um, where it is not an income generating project. It is a project that is done out of love and out of the necessity to archive. Yes. Black exactly. African presence. Yes. Full stop. Right. Yes. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're archiving our presence. We're archiving conversations that are being had at the moment. Um, and in a way we are, what I, if I were to summarize what I'm doing, I say I am erasing erasure. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. this idea that this false narrative that we never existed. Every time you're always hearing about, I'm the first. No, no, yeah. we can't verify whether or not you're the first because the records are not easily accessible. So given that we're always, we're constantly working, we're constantly producing, and we're constantly working to move the narrative mm. forward, my question to you then is how do you rest? Well, I don't. That's the thing. I haven't been able to stop uh, the past three months, three, four months. But because also because I was wor also working on on uh, the book, the book had to come, the Good Immigrant. As a result, like I was not able to, I did not have time to rest. So rest was not really an option. But to in order to just like empty my mind, that used to be when I came home. That was the place where I could rest. But now home became an office, not just an office. Home also became classroom because I have two kids which I had to homeschool so what I did was like at some point it, it was like going for walks I, and I mean like 10, 10 kilometers 15 kilometers just like walking so I, it took me like two hours before I could get, get back home so that was my way of just like emptying my mind even if I was not sleeping I was at least emptying my mind and taking lots of pictures of flowers I've never seen so many flowers in my life I never noticed them they're beautiful flowers are beautiful they give me joy they give me joy, yeah. That's stunning. And also what I did was, uh, at some point I had like, after six weeks, I have this revelation, like I have a friend who left his key in Amsterdam and he, he was in Berlin. He, he, went, he went to Berlin before the lockdown and he had a key in an empty apartment. So I, I, may, I turned his studio apartment into my office. So I could actually just go there and, 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 and just be on my own and, and actually like work from nine to five and then do nothing after no homeschooling, no. And, and I, I was, I was able to take that time out as well from home, which was really nice. So we, I managed, I mean, it was difficult, but, but I did manage to sneak in some moments of rest, but now that it's just, it's not an option at the moment. But I'm 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 going to like the in the last two weeks of August I'm just gonna take a break from everything. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Speaking of rest, you are a literary editor. Ooh, hello, hello, hello. hello. And hello. a publisher. Ah! <laughs> oh my yes. goodness, woman of many hats. Yes. Okay, so um, I have a lot of writers on the podcast and I've had readers on the podcast as well, but mm. mostly writers. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite excited to have you on. So now we get to hear the back end. Um, yes. So a decision maker. First question to you is, I like to do, I, I, my questions tend to be a bit meandering, but mm. I'm going to give context while I'm asking this question. There are conversations about um, the publishing not being very accommodating to, mm-hmm. first to migrants, you mm-hmm. know, I say that because, you know, the hashtag publishing paid me, mm-hmm. the hashtag publishing paid me on Twitter highlighted what we suspected, mm. which is that black and people of color in the publishing industry, they're not getting paid well enough. Yeah. Right. And for a lot of migrants and first children of migrant parents, you find that we don't have the same economic privileges as a white counterpart in the sense that you want to get a job that gives you financial security and publishing is not a financially secure career. So my question to you is this, what was the spark for you that you were going to get involved in publishing and what has the journey been like for you? Mm, That's interesting. It's an interesting question because I kind of like became a publisher by not necessarily by accident, but it was not something that I set out to do because I was studying, I studied history first and then switched to communication studies, I think communication media studies. And while I was studying, I needed a part-time job. So a friend of mine, hi Plancha, if you're listening, <laughs> she sent me um, the, at the university press, Amsterdam University Press, they needed um, a, an office manager so I needed a job that I didn't have to like do a lot of thinking and lots of organizing. Um, and I could just like read in between or study. So I took that job um, a long time ago, I think 15 years ago. And um, I was, I started out as an office manager at a, at the university press. And then uh, the university press started also publishing um, literary nonfiction. So not just like academic books, but also like, what we call in the in the a books a buka algemene buka like gen, 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 for the general public and 
halfway, okay, I was done with, I finished my studies and I wanted to find a job that was more, you know, in line of what I studied. And then this marketing position opened at the publishing house. So I became a marketing executive. And then after four or five years, my boss said, you have way too many opinions about publishing and editing. So why don't you just, <laughs> he, he literally said, go edit books, go acquire books to titles. And I, and I was still, I was still a marketing manager, but I, I acquired two titles and two of them became bestsellers. What were the titles? Uh, it was The Schadu Elite by a professor, Ewald Engele. And the other one was The Big Reset by Willem um, Middelkoop. And they were both bestsellers. So at some point I was like, okay, you know what? I don't want to be a marketing person anymore. I want to edit. So become an editor. So it was like, I mean, I got opportunities within one publishing house. Because I think in the Netherlands, if I had gone the, the way of like how other people end up in publishing by studying uh, Dutch literature, and 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 then trying to find um how do you say it stash uh, internship forget it that the, the dutch is even more closed off to black people and people of color than the uk it is yeah so i don't think i would have been able to be where i am now if i had gone via the regular r route of how how uh, people get into publishing because how do you intern uh, unpaid internship or you get what 300 euros a, a month that's it how do you live off of that so how has the publishing lands how long have you worked in publishing and how has the publishing landscape shifted in that time given that you it's, are now a decision maker it's been 15 years since i started, wor started working in publishing and i mean hardly anything has changed in terms of uh diversity um because there are hardly any people of color or black people working in publishing in the literary publishing world there are hardly any i mean if they are there i know them personally it's like two or three of us and um uh, but in terms of it's the same they do publish writers of color but not necessarily the industry itself is extremely white it's extremely white the industry itself so mm. only the output has diversified a little bit, mm. but the people behind the ones, the, the literary agents, the editors, the marketing people, the executives, they're all white. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's wider than in the UK. So, so you... I can't say it has shifted. It hasn't shifted. Okay. I'm shifting it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Because and also, also, another, also another independent, um, um publishing house they, they they're not just publishing house they're like a multi multi-platform uh institute they're called rose stories it's run by also like uh women of color and they do theater productions but also books so we, it's like with the two of us we're, we're trying to change the game slowly but surely like you said, you work in a publishing house, but you are also now a publisher. So you published a book in 2017, the trans, which the title translates to Race for Dummies. In 20, 2019, you put mm -hmm. together a festival in the Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. What was the festival called? Because I, I can't pronounce um, it. Winternachten. Winternachten. Yeah, so Winternachten. Yeah. 
Dear listeners, go to YouTube. There are some amazing conversations that Ebise, Ella Wakatama Alfrey, editor at large at Canon Gate, and Milo Freeman, who is an excellent writer. Such an insightful conversation because Ella Wakatama is talking about the publishing in Britain. You are talking about publishing in the Netherlands, and Milo Freeman is talking about being published yes. in English by Cassava, a yeah. Nigerian and British based publishing house right i'm hearing you talk about the how on accommodating the dutch publishing landscape is on the other hand you have successfully published a book the only book if i if i heard correctly in that conversation it was the first book of its kind that put race in the center conversation about race in the center the question i then had in my mind is what was the process like for you to pitch mm. that book to go through the acquisition process and to convince your your contemporaries and your colleagues that the book is saleable? What was that process for you? Um, it's interesting that you ask because um, it, it was not necessarily the first in, of its kind because there was a book that was published by Professor Filomena Ased, which was a reworking of her PhD uh, called Aladach's Racism, like Everyday Racism, which was published in 1990. And she talks about like microaggressions. She explained it and she was vilified. She was too early, 1990, she was too early. She was so vilified by the establishment. She just left the country. She Ooh. went to the States, yeah. She went to the States, became a professor in the States. And then she came back, I think uh, 20 years later and now she's, she's, she, she even got like a, a ribbon from the, our king. That's so how bad the Netherlands is. Yes. Sorry, but, but it, between 1990 and Halloween, like, hey, white people, Anusha's book, uh, was there early? It was like 20 years of nothingness in terms of talking about race, like the way that we're talking about race now. I mean, books have been published, but it was never. I think you can compare, you can compare it to Rennie Edologi's book, mm. even in terms of how it was structured well I was it's interesting that you asked about the, how I the acquisition because the Anusha's book came out and was published in April and Rennie's was in June mm. and I had seen Rennie's book I was sent the pdf but I was like we're publishing Anusha's book and there's no point in translating Rennie's book because it's just like this it's almost similar but then Anusha's book was within the Dutch context, whereas Rennie's is not, it's a UK context, you can't like translate it to the Dutch context. But I think it was easy to sell it to my colleagues internally because um, again, my boss at that time was very much, uh, he let me experiment. Mm. And when I pitched this, um, when, we had a talk with Anusha and then we had a talk with, um, my, with, with the managing editor. And while we were discussing it, he said, just write it. It was really, it was easy to pitch it to him. I'm not sure how it was uh, received um, with my former colleagues. Mm. Some of them were probably a bit icky towards it, but it was acquired anyway. So we have to do it. But interestingly enough, even my, because, you know, like uh, just also in I don't know how you call it in English. You know, when the, when the book is announced, 
first it comes in a there's a catalog mm-hmm. and then with that catalog you go to like uh person fairs book fairs mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you t- this like the, the major the in between people buy the right acquisition uh, the people acquire the, the rights no 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 we don't do that we hardly do that in the, no 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 the the sellers oh. the booksellers the chain the chain store that, that then between the book stores and the publishers there's that the middle the middle people mm. it has a name in english i forgot i forgot what to call it but in, in the dutch you say the inkopers and we only sold 200 books only like, there were only 200 books that were pre-ordered by the chain stores and the, yeah so usually that's a reason to kill a title mm-hmm. but i knew it was going to be bestseller because we already had dipsas podcast and that and the discussion the racism debate in the netherlands was at the height and still when the public when the book got published uh, the publishing house they did not really think it was going to sell that much so the first print run was only 1500 and it was sold out with one day within one day the book was sold out this was anusha's book when was it in 2017 it was it was sold out immediately and then second print run was sold out immediately <laughs> we had like i think three print runs in uh, two weeks oh wow and it went on to become a bestseller so i was like i told you i told them let's do the first print run two and a half thousand nobody listened to me so that's what i had to deal with so question print run i he- i hear print run a lot mm. that the first print run has sold out is there a gap so if the first print run sells out is there a gap between the first print run selling out and the second print run it, it could be if you haven't gotten your uh, stuff together you you can have a you can have a gap but nowadays you have pod print on demand so when people order it, it it's not the same quality but you can still order uh single titles like that there's this whole machinery which which so you can which means that in 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 certain terms you can always you don't have to have stock or you don't have to run out of print as well because of print print on demand technology so we didn't have that unfortunate i mean fortunately we didn't have a gap but still printing uh a thousand or two thousand books in one go is much cheaper than printing single print-on-demand books. Of course. What, what is the Dutch title of Anusha's book? Hello, Vitamensa. Okay. So that book, the print, the first print run was 1500. What is the usual first print run for other books? Um, depends on the title, because the, the thing is, it's very difficult to compare it to the UK because the market is No, not in the so UK. No, I want to do like a comparison yeah. in, in Dutch. Think... So imagine like a white Dutch writer was publishing a book what is the average print run of a book compared if to they thought it one? was going to be if, if they thought it was going to be like a bestseller they would they'll go between 2000 and 2500 mm. between 2000 and 3000 would be the first print run so that you know like you you're covered for the first two weeks mm. oh wow so yeah. within two weeks so you sold within one day what people usually anticipated yes for four weeks if we're going to go yes. 3000 yeah. they literally say nobody want to only people in the big cities are interested in this subject matter that's what that was what i was told so now speaking of a book published in 2017 that was sold out there is an exciting book that i'm salivating oh let me say i am salivating i don't read dutch Mm -hmm. i don't understand dutch 
I'm in this conversation. I'm even avoiding saying Dutch words because the brain cannot compute. <laughs> okay. Brain and tongue are fighting with each other. But the Dutch edition of the Good Immigrant is out. Yes, it is. It is. Wow. I mean, I've just been seeing it, it all over the graph yeah. on my on the Instagram, on Twitter. People are posting about it. People are buying yes. multiple copies. Yes, they are for their friends okay yes, so really. how did that come to be because you I, I know that a good immigrant was first published in the UK um by Nikesh Shukla um it, that um the UK edition was crowdfunded mm -hmm. and it was now published in the US and now the Dutch edition so talk us through the process of um the process of conceptualizing and yeah. and you know once again printing the good immigrant yeah the thing is when the good immigrant the uk edition came out because because i'm on on on, on uk twitter i follow also follow uk twitter i really I, I thought it was a brilliant plan to to have crowdfunded it so that because you create uh not just a buzz but you also create like a community around that book community of ownership people and 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 as a result i really wanted to do the same thing for the Dutch market, but I knew that I, I bought the book, I read it. There was no point in translating the good immigrant in, in Dutch because they're they're very particular to UK, the UK experience. So I tried to pitch it at my former uh, publishing house, but they said, especially in the in the Netherlands, uh, edited volumes are they, they just don't sell. That's like your standard thing. Unless you're a famous person, edited volumes or anthologies don't sell. That's in general. In, in, in That's in general, yeah. And especially if it's like a bunch of black people and people of color, nobody wants to buy it. That's what people say. It, also because it's a lot, it's very expensive. You have to pay for everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to pay everyone. Um, it's expensive. It's expensive. And, and if the print run is only like 1500 you will never, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to make a loss. Mm. It's not even break even. You you will you make a loss, and fast forward uh, to I think it was last year when when the when Dipsau started thinking about also going into publishing. We, I discussed it with uh, my friends Anusha and Mariam, and then we were also thinking to make it like more. Yeah, I don't like saying sellable, but so that you know, like, so that it would it would not make a loss. I wanted to ask. I tried to ask a few well-known writers from an immigrant background to be the editors of the the Dutch version of yeah. the Good Immigrants. Like people with already is already how do you say it? Uh, already established writers. Yeah from Suriname and also from Ethiopia. But halfway at some point that the publishing house that we work with, Dipsaus, the publisher Mitzi said, why don't you just do it yourself? Mm. She's like, why, why would you want somebody's name on the cover? Why don't you just, why don't you three be the editors of The Good Immigrant? I got in touch with Nikesh to ask whether we, are, whether we could use the title and he was yeah. okay with it. He was fine with it. He gave us uh, our blessings, his blessings. We, we did not just want people who are used to writing and who have been published to tell their stories, but we wanted to make it as intersectional as possible. So we asked people who were not also, who are not writers, who have not, who've never really written 
or being published in a book. So we also interviewed people. And so I think five stories are interviews actually that have been reworked. We, we thought that was important to have like as much representation as possible. So not just only people who are, who are used to writing. The book came out in the, on the 30th of July and the response has been unbelievably amazing. Also because of the cover. I think, I think our cover is much more, it's more stunning than the, the original. <laughs> And definitely the no US shade. One. No, your cover is stunning. The color is beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so speaking of, of covers and the mm. cover being beautiful, um, there are conversations about the shadows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Books by black African writers, they usually have like the shadows, the silhouettes. Yeah. The silhouettes and the colors. It's a thing. Yeah. I don't but the thing is, I think, but the, the thing is, um, every year they're like book cover lists of the most beautiful book covers ever and this is i think it, it's it's a fashion how do you say it? it's 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 a, it's a trend it's a trend and it will go away because you had a trend where books the, the i think two years ago all the books had like plants Bob flowers tree, yeah. on them yeah so it's, it's 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 a trend i think that will at some point pass and also i think Ankara, i think a lot of people are also inspired by ankara prints how is the what is the dutch pronunciation of the title it's de goede immigrant. There's a lot of clearing your throat involved. Okay, so <laughs> should I ever lose my voice, I'm going to learn how to speak Dutch because I clear my throat yes. perfectly yes. well. So how has the response been so far? Because I know that you talked about crowdfunding. What was the process like with the crowdfunding? Did that boost your confidence with regards to publishing the book? And now that the book has been published, what I is I will the never do a crowdfunding ever again. <laughs> Oh no, why? It's just, it's a lot of work. And it's like, it's like I had like so many heart, how do you say, heart palpitations? Because it was immensely rewarding and people, the response has been, they, people went above and beyond, but there's so much work involved in order to push it and the social media and emailing everyone and thinking every day, thinking, oh, we're not going to make it. It's just like, oh man. It is really intense. And there's a lot of, again, uh, it's a labor of love. And the work that goes into crowdfunding, also because the money that we received, everything goes to the writers and not, not to the production of the book. So there's, it's, it's like, it's very uh, labor intensive. And it, it was just before Corona as well. So I'm not saying I'll never do this again, but I, like at this moment, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, let, let somebody else do crowdfunding. But it was really good though. I'm really glad we did it. Also, again, the fact that we crowdfunded it, uh, we have, it, it's really rewarding again to actually find out that people actually know who we are, support us. And they showed, they, they, they went, I mean, within, six weeks we we reached our goal which which has been really really i'm i'm just i'm happy specifically for the people who are contributors to the good immigrants because for a lot a lot of them have never been published before it's the first time that they're in a book and a good so book a at big, that. yeah it's a big deal so the fact that if it, it has an audience a dedicated mm. audience it's just like it's it's what what else can we wish for mm. really the Dutch edition of The Good Immigrant was published, um, well, a few days ago. What has the response been so far? 
The response has been really, really, really amazing. I mean, again, because of the crowdfunding, I think we we, we managed to create uh, an audience for this book and the people who pre-ordered it and who, who crowdfunded it, the outpouring of love has been uh, great in terms of everybody goes either on Twitter or on Instagram and they, they're, they're showing it to, to their friends and people want, they're excited about it. And as a result, I mean, the first print run sold out. And um, what we also did was like one of, one of the gifts that you, you could get with crowdfunding was a, a tote bag, a can, you know, like you're, you, you can't have, you can't not have a tote bag and be, be a serious <laughs> publisher. But what we did was like, we worked with, um, we made like exclusive, like a one-time only tote bags, which were um, hand produced by We Are Here. And We Are Here is a collective of um, um, undocumented migrants living in the Netherlands, you know, in Amsterdam specifically, who have been in Dutch, you say, they, 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 the, the Dutch government has decided that they're not going to... Well, yeah, they have no recourse to public funds. Exactly. So, no, and, and the, the next step is like to actually just send them back. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's that bad. And they, they, they have, they are organized and they, they have, they live in uh, abandoned buildings, you know, like squats. And a friend of mine got me in touch with them and they, they made this hand hand spray painted uh stencils of of the cover on tote bags and um we are selling we, we i mean people who bought a tote bag together with the book will get that that exclusive handbag handbag tote bag and whatever was left i think we we produced a hundred of them and whatever uh i think we have like i think maybe 15 left and we're selling them and all the proceeds will go back to the We Are Here collective because they're not allowed to work. They don't have any means of income. They're dependent on other people. It's, and also because they are like undo, undo, undocumented migrants and refugees and all the stories, almost all the story, no, all of the stories in, in, in The Good Immigrant are, are about being the other in this country. So I think we felt like we needed to, it was really, it, it, it happened, organically a friend said like wait a minute if you want to make a tote bag instead of just printing it let's just work with them and we've been we've been lucky it's it's been really amazing talk us through the process of dips house becoming a publishing house and oh. also are there should we expect more books from dips house in the future has dips house published books in the past i say this because as a Listen, unapologetic book ho, I'm loyal to certain <laughs> publishing houses. You don't understand. I mean, my primary publishing house is Cassava. Yeah. And then you have Jacaranda. So there are yeah. readers like myself who yes. are loyal to yes. publishing houses. So what does Dips House, the publishing house, what do you have planned for the future? And so that people like me who are inclined to stand publishing houses. <laughs> ah. Well, um, the thing is, when we started out with the podcast, the first thing we said, all three of us, like, we're going to start out with a podcast, but the, the idea was to become a multi a multimedia platform. That was from the day one. We wanted a multimedia platform because I I, I was working in publishing. Anusha works works in uh, theater, and she's also done radio. She's done TV, 
so it was always gonna be like a multimedia uh, company. We just didn't know when it was gonna get there or how. So in that sense, it was from the beginning, we, we wanted to do all of this, but we just started out with the podcast first. We needed to establish ourselves and also get to know each other while we were doing Dipsas. That's how we became friends. We were not friends before. And, um, and, and it is, we are planning on expanding because what we're trying to do is like uh, the Dips House, the, the online platform, the online magazine is the place where people who, have, who haven't published elsewhere, who want to publish, want to practice their skills, can actually publish. I feel like if you train someone and they, wanna, uh, they want to write a book, move on, there's no need to bind them only to Dips House. I don't believe in that. There should be diversity within diversity in, in, in that sense. And um, we are planning on, uh, the idea is to produce four titles a year. And we already have two more titles this fall. The second title being the Dutch translation of Sister Outsider. I'm so proud. Stop I, it. I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been, yes. We are translating Sister Outsider. By Audrey Lord. By Audrey Lord. That's book number two. Oh my goodness. Yes. And book number three? Is an anthology of uh, African writing. So Africa as in Africans in diaspora. So on the continent, in the Netherlands, anywhere. Anybody black, basically. Oh, rooting for everybody yeah. black. Yeah. Yeah, rooting for everybody black. Who's writing in Dutch. Okay, I was going to say. I was so it's, it's, it's Dutch, so it's also uh, the Netherlands and also uh, Flemish, Belgium. So ten, uh, nine Flemish writers and nine uh, Dutch writers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Question. it's coming out in October. October. Okay. Yeah. And Sister Outsider, the Dutch edition of Sister Outsider, what is the title? It's going to stay a Sister Outsider. I mean, there's no point in, you know, <laughs> everybody knows. <laughs> there's no point in trying to come up with the Dutch translation. <laughs> and when is that coming out? In September. Oh wow! So you yeah. have the Good Immigrant came out in July. Yeah. Then, uh, in October, in September, you have Sister Outsider. In October, what is the book in October called? Afrolit. Oh, I've seen the cover. Yeah, and then it's, it's Afrolit, uh, moderne literature uit de Afrikaanse diaspora. It's like Afrolit, modern literature from the African diaspora. Yeah, the Sister Outsider. I mean, we have a translator. I'm, I don't translate books, and the, and I do that together with with the publishing house that I that that we are working with. And Afrolit, I'm uh, editing together with um, Dalila Hermans. She's a Flemish writer activist from Rwanda, Rwandan uh, activist writer, mother. She's she's and also Suleiman Adonia is going to be in the anthology. Suleiman Adonia is going to be in the yeah, Afrolit yeah. anthology. Yeah, he lives in Belgium. He's from Africa. Of course, he's going to be in the anthology. <laughs> We're going to translate it in Dutch. Okay, so nine Flemish, nine Dutch writers. Yeah. Are the Dutch writing going to be translated to Flemish as well? It's the same language. It's Dutch. So Flemish, Flemish and Dutch. Dutch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dialect or exactly the same? Dialect. Okay. Yeah. But they, they, we understand each other. Perfect. Oh. Okay. Flemish used to be a Dutch province back in the days before they became independent. 
it's it's a very it's 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 a it's a how do you say it for for the belgians it's a very touchy subject okay the same way i presume the same way the irish and the brits yeah have very exactly yeah contentious relationship yeah okay. speaking of translation speaking speaking of transnational writings mm. given that you are an ethiopian editor and a publisher based in netherlands which book or short story paired with a song conveys your thoughts on how the Kane prize speaks to non-english speaking africans on the continent and its diaspora um i had a hard time i mean um it's a difficult it's not a difficult question but it's an i have to answer this i feel like i have to answer this in a diplomatic and tactful way <laughs> but there is no way but there's not because it's i it's i have to be honest it's 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 i've struggled and i still struggle with this because outside of the again quoting koma wangugi outside of the english metaphysical world i have no idea how the kane prize speaks to non-english speaking africans i have no idea on the continent and also the, the diaspora, the diaspora yeah i don't know in, yeah but you're in, you're i don't in know Netherlands. yeah i know but that's the thing and i am tuned into the kane prize but not as many people are into tuned into the kane prize as i am people who are interested in african literature and who speak english know of the kane prize but mm. The, the, the Kane Prize of African Fiction is not big in the Netherlands. So what is the African literary landscape in the Netherlands like? There, what African literary landscape? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like 10 writers and an, an all 10 of them. <laughs> Wait, no, pause. Okay, pause. No, but okay. really, there is no literary landscape. No African... Yes, there is, but it's like a handful of people are of African descent. The African literary landscape in the Netherlands is very tiny. Really? It's extremely tiny. It's tiny, yes. Because it's it's about numbers. I think most of the, the, the diaspora, the African di diaspora, I mean, the black African literary writing is what I'm talking about because the one of the largest groups of uh, uh, immigrants living in the Netherlands are the, the guest Surinamese? workers. Surinamese? No, you have the Surinamese, ex-colony. Antilles and the you have then the Turkish and Moroccan um, guest workers that, that that they brought in mass to the Netherlands in the 70s so there is there are a lot of Moroccan writers Moroccan Dutch writers that is the African literary landscape would be more Moroccan writers than sub-Saharan Africa and there are more coming upcoming now in the past two three years there there have been more but especially when i was here there were like maybe like three there's one somalian writer one um uh, ugandan dutch writer and vamba there was like three the only i only knew three names that was it so it's not this it's not it's completely not you cannot compare it to france you cannot compare it to the uk so even when people uh, migrate, they tend to migrate to either French-speaking or English-speaking countries. Which book or short story conveys your thoughts on how the Kane Prize speaks to non-English speak non-English-speaking Africans on the continent and the diaspora? I have a feeling that um, in the countries where there is a uh, there's like a literary infrastructure, for example, whether it is Nigeria or even the Congo, um, people are aware of the, the fact that the Kane Prize 
exists. But I think I'm 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 guessing here, but I think like the Franc Afrique, Francophone Afrique, Africa tend to look towards French literature, I think, French prizes. There are like a whole bunch of, I think, literary prizes in France. I think also like African, for African writing, there might be a prize for African writing in French. I don't know. I don't speak French, unfortunately. It's something <laughs> I need to learn. But in terms of, in, in, in Ethiopia, forget it. I don't think anybody knows. I, do, I, I think there are, I don't think there are any people, any, maybe two or three people will know that the Kane Prize for African Fiction exists. Because we don't, English is not the language in which we mm. write literature, neither is French. So, so in that sense, I don't, I cannot say that there is a book that can convey this huge gaping hole mm-hmm. created by the fact that the Kane Prize is in English. And I think that's also another thing in my mind is, you know, we talk about African writing, and we're finding we're finding out increasingly that the term falls into the trap of homogenizing. Yeah. a whole swathe of people that are very different i don't know i prefer writings by people of african descent than african mm-hmm, literature mm-hmm. what do you think can be done to bridge the gap i think if if the Kane prize somehow uh or uh finds the means and, and i'm talking about financial means mm. i think if literature that has been written in different languages on the continent if it's like if they can find ways to translate it into the English language, as opposed to the, it has, it should have been translated into English mm. and submitted somewhere. Otherwise you, you're not eligible, if, mm. I, if I recall co- correctly. If they can invest in, in, some, in some ways in, in, in translating literature written on the continent in other languages, mm-hmm. as well as, for example, Dutch literature, German literature, French literature, Swedish literature. I mean, in Sweden, you have like, there's a large Somali um, community in in Sweden. So I think if there's any way of trying to invest more time and energy and money in translating these uh, literature written in other languages into the English language, or maybe have like franchise, I don't know. At the end, so that's the thing. So I think uh, you asked me about a song, and the song I had to think about was like Nas. If I rule the world, if I rule the world, then I'll find money from somewhere <laughs> and make this happen. Without the garbage, we don't have the top dollars. Imagine everybody flashing, fashion designer clothes, lacing your click up with diamond rolls. Your people holding dough, no parole, no rubbers. Going raw, imagine law with no undercovers, just some thoughts for the mind. Because I mean, and, and for me, it will, it, it's natural to think to look towards France because, uh, besides the UK, the largest African presence on the European continent is in France. So there's a lot going on there. So if you don't speak the language, then you don't know what's going on. I asked you to suggest a book by one, an Afro Dutch writer, and two, an Ethiopian writer that more people should read? Mm, I was thinking of, I think, um, the people have this general idea of the Netherlands being like a liberal Walhalla where everybody lives, where there's no racism and we're all lovey-dovey. So I think if we can, I think I would like to recommend Anusha's book, Dear White People, basically, Hallo Vita Mensa. I think if that, could be translated 
translated into the English language and is available to a wider audience, people will understand what we are struggling with in the Netherlands because people have a warped idea of this 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 heaven how do you say it safe utopia. heaven where there is yeah utopia where there's no racism which is completely untrue hmm. and so and um who wants to give it a shot if somebody has i don't know it's only like two and a half thousand euros it's not a lot it's not a lot um or to buy the rights yeah no no to translate to translate it into english you don't even have to buy the rights just give us the money we'll translate it into english <laughs> <laughs> and um another i think a book an ethiopian book i would say it's it's a classic i think it was published in the 70s it's called uh by Hadi Salimayo. it's like the great ethiopian novel it's What's like it a novel spanning it's an interject you like it's a generational big novel where i don't i i i i i read it when i was too young, so I don't even remember what it's all about. But Fukuras Kamakar means literally love unto the grave. So it's like a love story, but it's also like, I think you could call it, you could maybe you might I'm saying I'm sure if Ethiopians are listening to this, they might not be amused. But I was thinking of like, you know, like 100 years of solitude. Mm. It's it this is the book that everybody knows, and it's still in print, and you'll find it everywhere in in in, in Ethiopia, also like on the street street vendors. But there is no English translation. Oh, and this is this has been my mission together with my publishing friend Bibi Bakare Yusuf of Kasava Republic. Yeah, we want to translate this book into English, and we need funding. So, mm. listeners, is anyone anyone somewhere? somewhere whether it's in uk or in the us if you want to do this translation with us please 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 slide in my dms what is your dm my dm dipsousepodcast at gmail.com dipsousepodcast on instagram that's dipsouse yes. d-i-p-s-a-u-s yeah podcast on instagram and twitter yeah but we really, I think it's, it's that book deserves to be translated. It's like it's, it's one of the seminal works of, of what what is Ethiopian literature. So please help us, help me and Bibi translate the book into English. And I would like to. I was like again, you know what I said at the beginning of the podcast. I was thinking more of, I was thinking of the titles of songs as opposed to the songs themselves. So. <laughs> I was thinking I want to pair this 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 like call for funding with City Girls where the bag at song is about you can google it and i know of this song because of anusha actually who's like my elder but still she listens she's she's more in tune with the latest and the most you know she's up to date on in in terms of uh contemporary music anyway i i would choose this song because of the the, the lyrics like we need we need publishers who's gonna, who's gonna swipe them visas please <laughs> swipe them visas in our dms <laughs> oh my goodness 
I'd be saying. Or should I throw in some Bach or Beethoven or? I don't. It's fine, right? No, I was actually okay. waiting for. I don't know. You know, I was waiting for like a song by a Dutch R&B oh, God, singer no. or a Dutch hip hop artist oh, God, no. No. or an Ethiopian song or an Ethiopian singer. No, yeah. I would recommend Tizita by Mahmoud Ahmed. <laughs> is our um it's 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 a word that you you know like i think you know the the uh, i think it's a spanish word saudade okay. means longing mm. and remembrance and it's 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 like it's it's it, there are many renditions of tzita like all famous ethiopian artists throughout the ages have their own version of the tzita so i think if you google Tizita, it's T-I-Z-I-T-A. You will definitely find many. But one of my favorite ones is by Mahmoud Ahmed. That's my favorite. And Mukomawa Ngugi, he's got a book coming out. Exactly. And the book has a very strong musical landscape. And he was curating a playlist to Tizita as well. say thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I know this is an extremely busy time for you, getting everything ready with a good immigrant and for you to actually take time to be so generous with your knowledge so generous with your experience and just so open with us thank you thank you thank you i appreciate you and i value you for who you are and what you do thank you thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure pleasure and also like it's, it's, it has been my dream to be on your podcast. Keep up to date with Ebise by visiting dipsaus.org. That's dipsaus, D-I-P-S-A-U-S dot org. Follow Ebise on Twitter and Instagram at dipsaus podcast. That's at D-I-P-S-A-U-S podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It is always a pleasure, a delight and a joy to have wonderful guests, generous guests on the podcast. And it, it is even more enriching and more gratifying to have listeners like you follow us on instagram and twitter at books and rhymes the song you heard in the intro and outro of this podcast is titled reset by miyakum that's miyakum spelled m-e-a-k-o-o-m the link to her music is in the show note do us a small but huge favor rate the podcast and review it on iTunes. By doing so, you make it easier for other people to find and listen to the podcast. Such small gestures really goes a long way in making our work more worthwhile. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.